Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Oh, hey, everybody. Uh, another week here of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As Kelly said, I'm your host, Troy McClung. Uh, glad you all decided to listen to yet another episode. Um, usually about this time uh, in the uh, podcast is where I do some sort of banter and some update on what's going on the farm, but quite frankly, I'm a little aggravated. <laughs> I uh, normally uh, record these intros um, the night before I make the podcast live, so any updates are, of course, as fresh as possible. Well, Freshness is is definitely the situation in this uh, update. So, uh, just getting ready to finish up uh, before dark, come in and and start recording my podcast and putting that all together. And uh, for those of you uh, are not aware, we're in West Virginia. So, Red Tool House Farm is on a hundred acres in West Virginia, but hundred acres in West Virginia is of course very very hilly, uh, mountainous, if you will. So. Um, so I'm driving my my side by side with utility utility trailer around the house. Been actually doing a little bit of landscaping, cleaning up, getting ready for the fall, and uh, come around the front of the house. And my trailer comes off of the uh, the coupler comes loose on the side by side of the trailer, and the trailer slowly proceeds to go over the hill. And I just watched; I couldn't get out of the side by side fast enough. It just goes over the hill, which here is a substantial hill. <laughs> down the hill, crossed the driveway, and kind of did a jump Dukes of Hazard uh, down into the valley below and actually got caught on a tree about halfway down. So it was uh, laying on its side, uh, bedside down the mountain, uh, so almost upside down uh, against a tree halfway down the mountain. And of course it was getting dark. So uh, we've been playing, uh, Kelly and the boys and I have been playing uh, tractor fish. Uh, We've been fishing with the tractor to... uh, pull the trailer back up over the hill. So needless to say, that's the latest update we have, and it's a little aggravating, but nobody's fault but mine, in a hurry, trying to get around the corner of the house, and I guess I bounced <laughs> bounced the trailer too hard, and it just came loose. So we're going to move on to our interview and talk to people who do know what they're doing. And today is an interview with Scott Hayes, and he's with Blue Dirt Farm in Blue Earth, Minnesota. And uh, Scott has a neat operation going on up there. Uh, he uh, finishes Mangalitsa and Mangalitsa Cross. So we'll uh, dive right into that discussion and uh, let him give you guys an update of what he's got going on. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy McClung. And I've got another good interview. Uh, we're kind of getting in a, in a habit here of, of Midwesterners. So uh, I think there's a lot of pigs in the Midwest, so it makes sense. So tonight I have with me Scott Hayes from Blue Dirt Farm in Blue Earth, Minnesota. Uh, so welcome, Scott. Hey, Troy. Yeah, so uh, tell me, on on Blue Dirt Farm in Blue Earth, Minnesota, do you guys like the blues? <laughs> I'm sorry, do we like what? Do you, do you like to play the blues? Like to play, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I, I used to <laughs> attempt to on uh, my guitar a little bit. But yeah, that was, that <laughs> not was a, a whole lot of blues around here. I got you. That was uh, my attempt. There used to be some blue clay. You <laughs> okay. can still find some reportedly on the banks of the, the Blue Earth River. 
I see. Okay. Yeah, that was my poor attempt at humor there. So, um, <laughs> well, that's an interesting, interesting name. I would ask, oh, how did you come by the name of Blue Dirt Farm? But does it have anything to do with the fact that it's in Blue Earth, Minnesota? Uh, yeah, you could say a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So it, it's kind of a small town. It's only 3,300 people and it's used almost in a derogatory way. People will say, oh, you know, Blue Dirt, you're from Blue Dirt instead of Blue Earth. So uh, I, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Let's, let's own that. Just embrace take it. Take it away yeah. from them. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, let's um, let's talk about. Uh, give me a forty thousand foot elevation view of, of your setup in your farm. So, if you were you just explaining it to somebody straight out of the gate, um, yeah, what do you have going on there? So, I finish Mongolitsa, and I'll put a little disclaimer there: Mongolitsa cross pigs. Also, um, I don't farrow. I just finish them on pasture and woodland here on my 10-acre homestead. I've been doing so for about four years now, and pretty small numbers a year. Uh, I've been doing finishing around 20 pigs a year, and I'm on track to get closer to, I think, 35 to 40 this year. And uh, It's just something that's slowly been growing and getting more customers. I just sell holes and halves at this point, and I love it. Okay. Things are fun. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, well, tell me a little bit about your farm and, and some of the, the pre-information you sent me. Uh, you talked about uh, kind of like a, a multi-generational farm here with doing some regenerative agriculture. Un- unpack that a bit for us, if you would. Yeah, so I have my foot, one one foot in each world, really. So this uh, that I'm doing here on Blue Dirt Farm, it's, like I said, very small scale, uh, all organic uh principles i'm not certified or anything but i i do use certified organic feed supplement for my pigs uh i also work full-time um on the multi-generational farm that i manage with my brother and that's where we're doing some work with cover crops which of course i use on my small farm as well but there it's more of a, a broad acre thing and we're we're working to implement more soil health principles and it's a conventional farm at this point, but I'd like to get it to at least a, a point where I would consider it uh, regenerative enough, you could say, so that I, I would feel comfortable integrating it with what I do at Blue Dirt Farm. Okay, so these are two separate We're not separate to that properties. point yet, but yeah. that's, that's my ultimate goal. Yeah, okay. So these are two separate properties uh, that, that you're referring to then? Yeah, correct. Okay. The uh, Hayes Family Farms, my multi-generational farm, that's uh, just broad acres kind of scattered in a radius around the, the town of Blue Earth, which includes some of the original family land and then some that we rent from various landlords as well. Yeah, okay. Okay. So how's that balance working out there? Uh, obviously, you, you get to keep your foot in agriculture the entire time, but... Uh, yeah, it sounds like there's some gear shifting you have to do there as you as you yeah. do, do some things differently. Well, I won't lie, it's tough. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm being pulled in a lot of directions at once. Usually, sometimes I I feel like throwing in the towel here on the the pastured pork. But um, the farmers that kind of gave helped me to catch the bug. The first pastured pork I ever had came from their farm. Uh, they ended up. Uh, 
quitting and selling their farm and you know i don't blame them at all it's it's really tough and they didn't have any uh like larger farm like i do to fall back on uh i really want to make the the pastured pork sustainable like economically so that i can continue to supply this product to my customers and hopefully keep growing that list of customers and uh it's just such a great product i don't I don't want it to go away. I don't want to put customers in a position where they have to go out and find a new farmer who might be using different methods or, you know, I mentioned we raise uh, Mongolitsa pigs and that's a really, you know, high quality, very special type of meat. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be around. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's, let's talk about the manga for a little bit because, um, you know, again, when you, when you look at uh, some of the different you know, different types of, of people we've had on the podcast, uh, everything from huge producers to uh, to uh, first timers, um, you know, th- there's some discussion, maybe even some debate over the manga to say, well, you know, it, it just doesn't finish fast enough, so it's not it's not a good production pig. In your experience in these last four years, how, how would you how would you refute that? <laughs> I don't have a lot to compare it to, other than. Uh... I didn't mention before, we did have confinement hogs when I was growing up okay. on my family's farm. <laughs> that I, I did not like uh, spending one second of time in those buildings. <laughs> this is a completely different experience. Uh, but yeah, they, they do finish slow. Uh, again, there, I don't have a lot to compare to. Um, I know when they are hybrid hybridized with uh, some of the other breeds that the farmer I work with uh mixes with them like large black and tamworth uh that does help them to grow a little faster uh one thing i find though here in the minnesota winters uh they do exceptionally well they need very very minimal shelter i'm talking like i can make a little castle for them with some brown bales and they'd just be happy as can be yeah Uh, so that's great they're easy going fun to raise you know, they don't finish the fastest. You don't get the biggest carcass weight, you know, without a whole lot of extra fat Fat you probably don't want. So those are all uh, important considerations. Yeah, and, and I figure most most of our audience knows what a manga is, but uh, if you don't mind, describe some of the unique characteristics of that pig because there is something mm-hmm. very unique about them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing that stands out most is its uh, woolly coat. People... Uh, kid like hey are you breeding your sheep or your pigs with sheep or what's going on there because right. the, the hairy long curly hair they don't get that so much in the summer um it i mean it depends a little bit on the like the the breeding um the other quality that stands out that isn't apparent just from looking at them is the rich red marbled meat um also a lot of fat and kind of a, a small skeletal, like a fine, fine framed animal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you'd mentioned, excuse me, you'd mentioned before that you're not a, a fair operation. You, you buy uh, weaned pigs and then, and then finish. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I assume you're probably getting six to eight week old, um, weaned pigs. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say six minimum. Um, I like it when they're around 50 pounds when I get them here. Yeah. Okay. So how long are you from, from the day those piglets hit the ground at your farm? How long are you going before you're ready to process? 
Uh, there again, it really varies with like the season and whether they're hybridized or not. But I think a lot of times I have them here on the farm for you know like anywhere from seven to nine months. Uh, there again, since I've been kind of a hobby scale up till now, I'd have to look at my records to get a really good average on that. So with being in Minnesota, are you are, are you deliberate about your schedule to say, okay, I want piglets uh, on the farm on this date so I can be ready to process before either the harshest of winter time? How does that work out for you? I haven't been real deliberate yet. Um, the only conscious effort I'm making now is to spread production out over the, the year a little bit. Uh, a lot of years I'll have a batch that finishes like around – November, even into December. And that timing works out nice for me because that's usually when I'm done with harvest on my family's farm. Uh, but I just hauled in a small batch here a couple weeks ago, and that was interesting. I haven't seen any of the meat from them yet, but I know they had a lot less fat on them. Um, so what you- I, I'm learning all the time as I sure. go. What are you attributing that to right now? Is it just feed or is it just genetics, you think? I think the the heat, plus they were uh, mixed with some Tamworth, ah, yeah. which is a leaner hog. So definitely like the combination of the two might have had more effect than like the, the sum of their parts even. I don't know. Yeah. Well, i ask you one more question, then I'd like to go back to the discussion of, of, of getting those wieners uh, to, to grow out. So, yeah. Um, so you're talking about doing batches, and you said about 20 a year you're doing total. So uh, are you are you just doing, like, is a batch four or five? Is it variable? How, how does that work out? It's it's really pretty variable because uh, up to this point, I, I did start working with another farm now as well, but I've been just working with one farm. So I would uh, take whatever he could get me. Um, you know, as you probably know, there's pretty good demand for especially heritage breed pigs. Like during a certain time in the spring, like this part of the country, like everybody wants pigs. Like yeah. in late April, in the May. So, a lot of times I would take uh, like be- pigs before then or after that season to, you know, to let the the farmer I partnered with capture that that premium and you know, find other customers during that time. And then I would take all the other pigs you'd get. Uh, but anywhere from like a dozen, I think the most pigs I ever ran together was like 18. Hmm. But I, I like having a batch of eight to 10 of them. That just seems like a really nice number. Yeah. I mean, that for a, for a small operation, that makes it nice to manage. And and, yeah. uh, and and when it comes to transport to processing, when it comes to yep. bringing, bringing process back, all that type of stuff. Attic moves. Um, if, yeah. if you do have an issue, with some, I use a lot of poly wire. If I do have an issue of them going through, it's not just uh, massive chaos and pigs running everywhere. Right. So it sounds to me like you, you could possibly have as many as three batches going on at the same time on property. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. And I think I'd like to get to the point where I could have three or four at any given time and maybe start getting those batches a little bigger, too. Yeah. So um, let's talk about your sourcing here, then. So uh, you know, the the thing that always sticks in my mind, and I, I've heard other people talk about when they're when they're a grow-out operation, I even see this at Polyface Farm. Joel Salatin is, is not too far from us. So so we've seen that on their place where, cool. yeah, they, 
obviously he he's got the buying power now, so he, you know he can he can yeah. pretty much set, set that up. But since you're relying on other farms' productions, are, are do you do you find you you're kind of at the whim? You'd already mentioned you kind of missed the peak season on purpose there, but are you kind of at the whim? And 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 have you had have you had some speed bumps there? Where yeah, uh, I don't know. It's the first farmer I partnered with. It was really dumb luck. Like he had gone through a lot of work to find Mongolitsas and was in on it pretty early in the game. Uh, what was it, like 2008 they came to the country, and this was maybe 2012 or something. So, uh, wait, it would have been a couple of years after that. Anyway, uh, I worked really hard to build that relationship with whoever I'm working with. And, um, like, I was going around uh, this winter, and, you know, I'm not saying that I won't work with any of these other farms that I reached out to, but uh, I, I kind of go by gut feel, I guess. And just the way they, uh, like, a farm a farmer handles him or herself. Uh, I'm looking for integrity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was going to be my next question. So uh, obviously you talked about uh, trying to do kind of beyond organic methods there on, on your farm. So does that translate over to your producer? Do you say, Hey, uh, I want to get these, um, these uh, piglets from you, but yeah, yeah, I want to make sure you're growing these, (laughs) your breeder, your breeding stock is X, Y, Z and you're handling it this way. Yeah. No one I've been working with long-term that's uh, totally the case. Uh, the, the farm I've just started working with, uh, so this farmer has done some organic row crops and what they're, the point they were at now was, uh, so he, he's raising Mongolitsas, uh, his were, he had some red wattle genetics as well. Uh, but he wasn't finding the, like the premium he needed to manage them organically so that's something we're going to work together on. I, I did go ahead and take one batch of pigs from him that hadn't been, like the sows weren't raised organically, and I don't believe the the pigs through the weaning process received organic feed. But if I'm going to keep working with him in the future, that's something I want to get up to uh, higher standards. And for him, it was just solely an economic thing. He didn't have the the customers for his feeder pigs that were willing to pay the extra, you know, whatever it would be, twenty five to fifty dollars a head that he needed. Yeah, yeah, and that that's that'll probably manifest itself over time, like you say, as you build that relationship. And maybe he finds mm-hmm. even other other buyers there to say, okay, this this is now worth it. It's it's worth the initial investment because I, I have more demand for this this type of hog. Yeah, and there again, it's just about building that relationship and really seeing these, you know, because <laughs> I'm like you said, I am at the whim of them in a way. So I want them to be my my partner, not the the company I buy from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, so let's let's take a step back here. You, you said, uh, if I remember correctly, you say you're you're 22 acres on on your farm. Uh, only ten here, actually. Okay. okay. I do have some other land I could uh, potentially expand onto. So. Okay. Well, so on that ten acres is uh, how much do your pigs have access to, and and how do you have your pasture set up there? Uh, so I have some high tensile perimeter fence. Uh, the bad part is a lot of it's on floodplain, and because I'm very sensitive about water quality, I don't want to 
put them on that lower ground on you know during any time of the year where the river has good potential of flooding. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're going to be spreading their manure down there, I want at least uh, you know a couple months for the critters to eat it up before the water comes up. Uh, Ten acres. Uh, there's probably like a good three or four acres is all that I can regularly use. And then there's some hillsides. If it's dry enough, I can run them on there. When the acorn, I have a lot of oaks on the property, so when the acorns are falling, I just kind of let them have the the run of the place until those are cleaned up. Uh, so it it varies depending on what season it is, and that's led me to think of some of these. Uh, I'm getting a little more interested in this Korean natural farming technique with the the deep bedding and cultures they use that's something i'd like to try out in the future and yeah probably like i said get on to some more land too yeah yeah so uh, how are how are the mangalitsas on on pasture itself are are, you know they they root they graze quite a bit uh, supplemental feed how does that work out oh it's a it's a good mix of both um a lot of it depends on how much uh like if it rains you know it softens the ground up and the they do like to root a lot more then. Um, this is the first year I've put them on uh, what I would consider my pasture here. Uh, a lot of seasons I'll, I'll get some cows at least for a couple months to help uh, maintain and regenerate the land here. Uh, another thing I've been doing I haven't mentioned yet is thinning some of the trees. Hmm. Uh, I think what we see in our area with... Uh, the way the land is managed, it, and I'm learning about this as I go, but what I've read from some experts on this is that some of the nitrates and phosphates from the land will kind of concentrate in certain areas, so then you see changes in the vegetation. So we have this big, I'll call it a maple thicket. We have silver maple here. It's like a soft maple, and these trees, when they come up, they can grow like 10 feet apart and they'll just shade out everything and then after years you know some of them die and they kind of naturally thin themselves but I have pictures from when I moved to the farm here where there was nothing growing under this thicket of maple trees and since I've gone through there and thinned you know I don't even know if I've taken like a third of them out Um, I have a lot of vegetation on the ground now that I didn't used to have and I'm still able to tap them for syrups so yeah to both worlds yeah definitely yeah yeah. making it in into more of a savanna system where it was some areas were like this kind of degraded woodland type of system uh i'm really working on developing an eye for that and trying to read the land and you know listen to what what the land wants to become and try to capture as much sunlight as I can in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, um, I like the whole Savannah Silva pasture angle there. We've uh, in here in the Appalachian uh, mountains, we, we have tons and tons of hardwood. So on, on my property, yeah. it's, it's we, we, we try to thin and, and we have access to, you know, tons of Oak beach, walnut, hickory, and uh, yeah, that's a great protein source for the pigs. So finding that balance of what we're going to take out and what we're going to leave in, so they they yeah. they have that free range. But we you mean some... like 
cutting branches from no, we, yeah, like we're, fresh branches from trees and yeah, eating. We're, yeah, we're actually we're actually talking about uh, full thinning. So coming in and looking yeah. at um, yeah, and, and I, yeah, we've we've talked about this extensively in other in other areas, but taking out specific white oak, if we've got a two acre area here that's densely populated with white oak, take out uh, trees that have um, some market value to them and mm-hmm. and get some market value out but leave like in one specific spot i have a, a double trunk white oak that is almost six feet at the base but since it, wow. since it goes up about eight feet and branches out it, it has absolutely no timber value to it well not mm-hmm. enough timber value to manage but taking the trees out around that has allowed that canopy to quadruple so the mass production is 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 just intense and the tree had no market value anyway, so its best value was to stay there and be a nut producer. And so the trees that I took out yeah, of it had, totally. had, had saw value to it. So That's really cool. I, I guess I got on a kind of a tangent about uh, pasture, but oh, well, anyway. That's, that's the key that's, part. That's the way I think of things. Uh, pasture, <laughs> silver pasture, uh, savanna. Well, and, and I uh, think... Continuum. Uh, you you made a point there that I think all of us need to all of us that are that are trying to do hogs uh, need to take into consideration and, and I really like what you said there you you're just trying to read the land let the land be what the land's trying to be mm-hmm. and and we've had this conversation before again going to somebody like Polyface who you know Joel's got this incredible amount of press everyone kind of sees what he's got going on wow I want my farm to be just like Polyface well. Shenandoah Valley in Virginia is a pretty unique area, and not everybody yeah, can, can, yeah. can duplicate what he's got. So you got to take those principles and apply them if, if exactly, you Exactly, like yeah. But then also look at the lay of your land. Okay, my land lays differently. It has different features. It has different climate. Mm-hmm. It has different soil types, all those type of things. So I, so I appreciate that. And, and I, Yeah, what, what you're saying, too, it, it made me think uh, also working to understand what the role of the pig is. And after only doing this four years here, I, I really don't know what that role is yet because I haven't seen, uh, you know, how they're going to impact the land long term. Um, yeah. I want to make it better, if, if at all possible. That's that's really my ultimate goal with this. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, are they clear, what are they clearing the land for and what's going to thrive and what's going to, you know, I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, because we're we're at the point on our farm where okay, there's areas that I don't even want the pigs to be on anymore. They've done their job in this specific mm-hmm. area. So as we move them, we have a valley. So as we move them up our valley, then I want them to continue to be the frontiersmen, you know, clearing out the understory and, and cleaning up some of these old areas. But now where they've been and we've established good pasture there, then that's that's saved for ruminants or that's saved for uh, you know some perennial planting or whatever the case may be. Uh, so yeah. yeah, definitely have a purpose, and 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 you move them to a different spot when they've. Uh, Sounds like you're definitely doing some multi-species graze, grazing too. Then the, the, that's the plan. I, I don't have any ruminants yeah. yet, but yeah, that's the plan is to transition into that where we we have more of a polyculture yeah. on the farm. Well, I didn't have any ruminants this year, unless you count a goose, which <laughs> isn't really a ruminant. But they kind of act like it. Yeah, they do. They eat a lot of grass, don't they? Okay. Well, um, so let's talk about uh, we talked about a little bit, but let's talk about your feed. So you said you're you're getting a um, an organic feed. Uh, how does that balance with with pasture again with your oaks during the specific time of season? Uh, what does your rationing look like there? Um, so there again, because I have all this stuff going on with my family farm, uh, kind of like the 
outsourcing the farrowing. I'm outsourcing the, the feed formulation as well. I used to be uh, a lot more active in asking, like, what's in it every time? Uh, but I, I do know the basics. So I, I get it from an organic farmer who grows most of the grain himself. Uh, he does buy some uh, barley and peas, field peas by the truckload, I know. But he'll mix in, he'll use that barley field pea mixture, oats. Uh, there is some corn and soy in it. The soy is extruded on his farm, and it's like whole soy, so the, the oil isn't uh, extracted from it. Um, he, he'll typically grind in some alfalfa hay, and then he has like a various minerals he puts in. I know he uses uh, Midwestern BioAg products that have, I'm sure there's some Redmond salt in it, uh, kelp. He's continuously tweaking his formula a little bit, and I've uh, expressed my desire to at least go to a soy-free feed at some point, and um, like me, he's really busy as well. He's farming a lot of acres on his own and raises cattle and a few pigs and chickens of his own so um he's he's doing the best he can and at some point i might have to uh, I, I might exhaust the supply he can uh he can supply there sure yeah well and it's it's nice to to be able to have that relationship with your feed producer to to even have those discussions i know a lot of us are relegated to our commercial feed uh uh, you know, location and, and there's not a lot of variables there. There's not a lot of uh, mm-hmm. discussion on special formulations. So. The logistics of it are evolving a bit too. He used to, well, for a while I'd even grind my own feed. I'd just get all the ingredients from him and assemble them. Uh, I had a couple bulk bins here I'd keep stuff in. and um, I did tinker around with some organic production of my own many years back, probably like the first year I was raising the pigs. Uh, what was I getting at, though? Yeah, he put it in totes. Uh, now we're to the point where we use, like, a, a wagon with an auger on it, and that's been working pretty slick lately. So I'm I'm trying to make his life easier, too, so that I don't have to find secondary suppliers as quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, so how are you distributing that feed to to your pigs? Are are you uh, free choice? Are you rationing? Do you have a specific balance of, of other elements that you're including? Mostly free choice. Um, I've experimented around with rationing a little bit, but again, since I don't keep the closest of uh, records on anything, I don't really have uh, a good way to tell how that you know whether it was a good thing for me or not. Um, in the winter, I'll put out, uh, definitely some hay, some, uh, organic baleage if I can get my hands on it. I've been experimenting with, um, sprouted grains as well. I really like sprouting that barley and field pea mixture. Pigs seem to enjoy that. And then, uh, whatever other, um, like garden produce I can get my hands on, uh, I've had some success in the past but the last year or two i haven't uh one year i brought home a few pickup loads of uh, watermelon and squash which is great i didn't have that option last year yeah that that's that's nice to have those those opportunities where you get a uh, 
kind of get a free or, or almost free uh, source of, of additional. We we always like um, we we end up with a lot of pumpkins in the uh, in the fall, so uh, our pigs really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I get to tell all my friends about the uh, the pig butt squash we're having for dinner when they visit, because <laughs> <laughs> we get this squash that volunteers and just uh, grows all over the farm, which awesome. is a, a nice side effect to raising pigs, I guess. Yeah, that's hilarious. You call it that because we have the same thing with pumpkins, and we call them poopkins. So, uh, <laughs> so you, you can get a you can get a special on poopkins from Red Toolhouse Farm. So nice. Well, um. Looking at your Facebook page, it looks like you've got an opportunity there, uh, maybe multiple opportunities, where you're, um, you're you're invited to speak to kind of talk about, uh, almost do a little bit of an education or presentation of what you've got going on. Uh, talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Oh, uh, what specifically are you referring to there? Um, I see you've got a uh, you've been highlighted. Uh, let's see here. Looks like your producer highlight. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, actually an event that I have coming up uh, Friday. Yeah, so yeah. It's uh, I don't know when you're going to release this, but it's it's coming up a couple days from the time we're recording this. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and that's something uh, I I did earlier this spring, and the the place that hosted it um, was really impressed with the way it went, and they've kind of taken over the event now, so they did more of the. Uh, promotion of it and um i don't have to front the money for it this time i just kind of show up and do my thing um the first one when i started it was an effort to educate some of my customers more and highlight more of the uses of lard so the the mongolitsa being a lard breed obviously it produces a lot of lard and People uh, can be intimidated when they bring home this 20-pound frozen sack of lard from the locker. So we went over the rendering process and just a few of the you know, uses for lard that you might not think about. Everybody thinks about pie crust, but um, also you can saute vegetables in it. You can pop popcorn in it. Yeah. Uh, Trying to think, I made some uh, nut butter and pumpkin seed butter with it. Um, yeah, makes great soap. There's just <laughs> a, a plethora of uses for lard. I don't go through much uh, olive oil anymore here. Right, right, exactly. Well, well, let's talk about that for a second. You, you talked about educating your customers, and um, I assume if, if you were to do the uh, to, kind of do the Pepsi challenge, where you're you're laying out a, a mangalitsa pork chop compared to a conventional pork chop, now, obviously it's you know, the difference of night and day. Do you do you find you have to educate your customers to a degree to say, okay, why why should I buy uh, your pork at, at at a higher cost or a premium cost compared to uh, even some other conventional pasture raised pork? Uh, do you have that discussion much? Um, you know, I, I try to avoid having that discussion. I, I'd like to find the customers that already uh, are already there that don't need any convincing. Yeah, but okay. um, it's something I I think about. Uh, I don't know if you saw on my Facebook page, I actually borrowed an image from another farm here in Minnesota. Um, somebody took their a pork chop from their farm and laid it out next to a supermarket pork chop, and that's I, I'd like to do my own version of that image here. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's night night and day comparison there. Yeah, I'm always curious in you know ways that you can highlight these differences and 
you know, even if it doesn't get you a customer, you know, I think we just need to get a lot more people interested in where their food comes from and, you know, understanding that a calorie isn't just a calorie. Uh, and this ties back to what I'm doing on my family's farm as well. Because uh, I, I could do, you know, I could make this into like Polyface Farms here, like times a hundred on my little 10 acres. And it's not going to do much when, when the landscape around me is, dominated by by corn and soy monocultures i think that's uh so it's really hard for me to decide what to focus on because this is in some ways a lot more rewarding working here but i think i have a lot of potential to to help change the landscape i mean we're all doing our part and there's other farmers getting many other farmers around the country and world getting behind the soil health movement but i'm most excited that there's you know, a few others in my county that are doing some really great work with it. And they're, to, to circle back around, uh, as more customers, consumers get start to connect these dots and realize that what they eat has an impact on the land, even if they, they don't uh, choose Mongolitsa pork chops, if they, you know, get something from, maybe pork's a bad example, but, you know, start to think about their choices and you know, take one step up from where they're at now, uh, start to understand like the role that small grains play on the landscape. Cause we've pretty much eliminated those from our area. And that's, I think leading to a lot of our water quality issues. Uh, anyway, I, I could go on a long time about this. Oh yeah. But it's, it's, again, I think it's a, it's a key point. And, and I, I, I like what you said there about, we're all trying to do our part, whether we're raising uh, raising pigs just for our own personal consumption on a homestead or, or where we're turning that into some retail sales, but educating the customers. And, and I like that, that comment about just getting people to take that first step, just mm-hmm. to start caring about where your food comes from. Well, for sure. When you start asking that question, then you start getting answers to those questions. And, and, and for most people, not everybody, but for most people, it's eye-opening. Like, wow, I never realized that I'm, I'm going to make different choices now. Some people just say, yeah, whatever. But uh, it is interesting to see how many people will uh, respond to that and, and say, hey, I'm going to make different choices now. Yeah, I think it's great. It's a, it's a movement that's, that's happening. And, boy, we sure do need it. The, the river here is one of the most uh, polluted in the country, and it's a huge contributor to the sediment in the Mississippi River. So yeah. it's very near and dear to me, running right through my backyard here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it kind of hits close to home, literally. Yeah. Well, well, uh, looking at uh, looking in the future, um, Scott, what would you say? Um, maybe short-term goals, long-term goals. What's what's the five-year plan look like there at uh, Blue Dirt? At Blue Dirt, um, I'd like to get up to uh, 80 to 100 pigs a year that I'm finishing, and I don't intend to, at least on my own, grow the business much bigger than that. Uh, I I think if I can get to that point, though, and continue to fine-tune things, that would probably get me to a point where I could bring a, a partner on board or consider even uh, setting somebody else up to take the business over. Uh, I just have, I, I can get bored easily and I have a lot of ambitions and 
things I'm excited about. So, but this farm here, uh, I wanted to keep just keep diversifying as well and just become a, a beautiful place. I, I didn't mention much about like what the homestead looks like. Uh, I'm sitting in a passive solar home right now. It's built with uh, round timbers, whole trees, like the columns still have the branches on them. And these are all timbers I harvested from the area here. And I'd, I'd really like to make this homestead a, a place that inspires people and you know shows how we can all live a little closer to nature and um be in contact with more of these these forces that that are so absent in in modern life most of the time and try to show people some of the the benefits that we can get from bringing back some of this stuff we've lost awesome they're I like figs, and I want there to them to continue here. Hopefully, understand their role a little better. Maybe mm. become the pig whisperer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Definitely. Well, one last question here that I ask you, know, and I'll ask this. I ask this of everyone: is uh, in your experience sure. with raising pigs, what is what is the f- the thing you like the most about raising pasture pigs? Uh I think uh, moving them onto a fresh paddock, and there's two parts to that. You know, I love it seeing the pigs running out there and finding all this new forage, and you know, exploring their new territory. And it's not all dug up or anything or soiled yet. And but the other part is I like taking down the fence from their old paddock, especially if I had what I consider like the right level of disturbance where they haven't, uh, you know, dug up things too bad. Hopefully we didn't have a big thunderstorm and made a huge mud hole, but, you know, seeing that level of disturbance where they cleared some stuff out, they tilled some soil, there's going to be some new growth there. Um, I'm pretty much always throwing cover crop seeds out after they leave or even before they do, depending on the seed size. But, to me, like taking down that the posts from that temporary fence, I feel like uh, they do have an art background as well. I kind of feel like I'm taking down the scaffolding after creating something. So that's my favorite. Very good, very good. I like that. That's a great answer. Very, um, very poetic. <laughs> well, all right. Well, Scott, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and talk about what you've got going on there at, uh, at Blue Dirt. If somebody wants to find out more information about your operation, where can they find you online? Oh, that's a great question. Well, bluedirtfarm.com will be up soon. There's something there right now. It's uh, pretty out of date, but Hopefully by the time this airs, I'll have it done. Uh, otherwise, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, Scott K. Hayes on LinkedIn. Uh, Scott Hayes or Budert on Facebook. Yeah, and and uh, so your your uh, the spelling of your last name is a little different. So that's H A S E, correct? Correct. Yeah. Or uh, if anyone wants to email me, it's just uh, Scott at BluedertFarm.com. There you go. Okay. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time. Excited to hear about what you have going up there, and uh, I pray you have a good, a good finish season this year, and you uh, sur- survive the the winter, the Minnesota winter yet to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope it's a, a good one.
Uh, Whatever that means. Right, Thank exactly. you, Troy. This has been a lot of fun. and really appreciate you reaching out and doing this podcast. All right, definitely. Well, uh, you have a good evening, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, well, really appreciate uh, Scott coming on the podcast and letting us talk with him. I uh, really like uh, what he's got going on up there. It's just really neat to hear all the different stories all across the country of, of how you all are raising pastured pigs. And again, if you're listening to this and you'd like to be on the podcast and you think, well, I don't have, I don't have my operation together yet or I'm not big enough or I'm just raising uh, enough for the homestead, then we want to talk to you too. I'd like to talk to the huge producers. I'd like to talk to people just raising one or two for themselves. Uh, we just came back from the Homesteaders uh, of America conference, which was a great weekend. And uh, just got to meet a lot of good people that uh, raise pigs, but they're not raising them on a production level. They're simply raising them for their own consumption, maybe a pig here, pig there. Um, so it's, it's really neat to get their stories as well. So if you'd like to come on the podcast, uh, just go to redtoolhouse.com forward slash pastured pig podcast. You can use the contact form there and send me your information. Well, I pray everyone has a great week and you get to spend some quality time out on the pasture. All right. Take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.